0: Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. Today's Friday, January 19th. My name is Dan Malthrop. I'm the chief executive here at the City Club. It's wonderful to have all of you with us. Thank you for braving the weather. You know, we have this idea in our nation of the American dream, that ours is a land of opportunity, and that all you need in order to succeed is a little bit of pluck, some commitment, some bootstraps, a good idea, and then financial success will be within your grasp. It has become pretty difficult to believe in that dream. A friend of mine told me the other day that despite years of effort in economic development and economic inclusion, there are the same number of people living in poverty in Northeast Ohio today as there were decades ago. The number hasn't really changed appreciably. What has changed is that middle class populations have shifted to the suburbs making the poverty even more concentrated inside the city. So we talk about wanting to have a truly inclusive economy, one where the number of people living in poverty would actually decrease and everyone would have access to the opportunity to put their ideas and their talents to work and find financial success. Talking about that and doing something about it are very different things. Larisse Purnell is doing something about it. As the Huntington Entrepreneur-in-Residence at Cuyahoga Community College, Lurice Purnell has conducted workshops for hundreds of aspiring small business owners and entrepreneurs. And of course, in his role at CLE Consulting, he and his colleagues have provided guidance to countless business owners, teaching thousands of people around the area about financial literacy and how to put their skills to work. Purnell is managing partner at CLE Consulting, a business and tax advisory firm that he founded with his colleague, Naltree Sharp. He also co-founded The Real Black Friday, an annual event that brings awareness and exposure to black owned and operated businesses in Northeast Ohio. So as part of our Building Success series, a series we do in partnership with Huntington Bank, we invited Larise Purnell today to, ser- to provide his take on what a truly inclusive economy might look like and how we might get there. Moderating our conversation is a friend of the city clubs and no stranger to our stage, Dr. Michael Bastin, president of Cuyahoga Community College. Of course, yes, woo indeed. I heard you. Who's <laughs> not a fan of Michael Bastin? Everybody's a fan of Michael Bastin. So if you have a question for our speaker and you're joining us on our live stream or on the radio, you can text your question to 330-541-5794. The number again is 330-541-5794, and we'll work it into the second half of the program. Members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming Larisse Purnell and Dr. Michael Bastin.
1: Well, it's truly a pleasure to be here with such an extraordinary leader in our community and to have the opportunity to partner with him through our Huntington Bank program at Tri-C. And so I want to start there. Uh, Well, I know that program well. That's right. right. Can you talk a little bit about your role as an entrepreneur in residence at Tri-C? Because many may not be aware of it. And, And can you elaborate on some of the things that you're teaching in that program?
2: Yeah, first um, I wanted to say to everyone out there, thank you for braving the weather weather to be here. You all look so great out there. But the Entrepreneur in Residence um, program that is being offered throughout the city. So tri of course, is one of the locations that and partners that they partner with to make sure that they're when we talk about inclusivity with businesses in our community, creating opportunities for education, access to resources. Um, so. At Tri-C, what we've been able to do is work with close to about 500 businesses throughout 2023 um, and 2024 to just make sure that they receive information that is necessary for them to scale their businesses and a lot of times what I love about the program it gives us the flexibility to really be out the box. We all know about the systems we have in place and the reality is with the world changing and technology you know advancing we got to rethink how we deliver information. And so through that program, it has allowed myself, my team, and other great um, people who provide their expertise to really advance these businesses. But it's been profound. It's been a great program to be a part of.
1: What is powerful about this work is that it really is seeking to level the playing field and give people a new opportunity to do something with their desires, their hopes, their dreams. Talk to us a little bit about how you found entrepreneurship as a path for others to expand opportunity.
2: So for me, um, and I always do this before I go speak anywhere in the city of Cleveland, what I always, my, my family, my staff know, my mentors know, I get off the freeway and I make sure I drive through the neighborhoods that I grew up in. And what that allows me to do is never forget why I do the work, and why I have the opportunities I have to sit before you today. And so I wrote down Kinsman, and what I thought about is Mr. Parker, who owned Parker's Barbershop, right there on 143rd, Snack Shack. Anybody know about that? Save more on 143rd, and then McDonald's, that used to be there. Um, But it was those business owners that provided opportunities to me to help keep me out the streets, and they really, truly saved my life. When I think about it, when kids, you know, were joining gangs and I saw kids my age getting killed, what they would allow me to do is come in there at the age of 11 and sweep the floors and mop and stock the shelves. And I wasn't on W-2, but they knew it was important to make sure they provide that opportunity because I could be a life that, you know, you never knew what I could turn out to be. So the work that I do is because of that. And I never forget that. And, and for me, I believe as a Christian man, that I'm proud to say that I believe that it is, my, it is my responsibility. It's not even an option. I don't have an option to do the work I do. It is a responsibility given to me by God to make sure that I make sure people have that same access. So again, um, that, that's why I do that work.
1: What is interesting is that this meeting today is sort of the culmination of a lot of commemoration of the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And so much of his life was dedicated to expanding opportunities for all. When you think about sort of his story, his, the arc of his narrative, what we celebrate, the idea of serving others, that it's a day on and not a day off, how do you think about what you're called to do? How do you think about what your contribution is going to be to the world in a similar fashion. It's your, your road is entrepreneurship and, and economic freedom, but, but talk a little bit about how that you're motivated and what you ultimately want to be known for.
2: So what is overwhelming to me most about being here this week is that it is not uh, by having stance, I believe I'm here during the week of Dr. King Day um, and the commemoration of his life, but when I think about just from a historical context of, you know, when we talk about why he's no longer here with us and what he spoke about before his life was taken, was he started to shift gears talking about the economic inequalities and making sure that we fight for um, economic equalities for all. And in his speech, he says, by faith, because I always have to go back to faith, we can pray together we can grow together, we can climb together. And not in that order, but if you look at the I Have a Dream speech, it talks about that. So what I would say is, as I sit before you today, that I'm just an extension of a dream that is still alive and it lives in me and it lives through all of you that are sitting out here. So again, for me, um, as I look at his history and what he spoke about, I feel like the work, like we talked about in the intro, we're still fighting against poverty. We're still fighting against people not having access to um, digital, um, you know, Wi-Fi and education and having access to the wealth dream that we talk about. So again, I just feel like there's so much work to be done and it's people like him that motivate me to do the work. People like you, and I look at so many other leaders that are sitting right here in this, in this room today, you guys have all encouraged me to know that the work still is alive And we have to continue to do and keep our foot to the metal on that.
1: Absolutely. Wouldn't you agree? And you're right. Toward the end of his life, his his last sort of effort was the organizing of the Poor People's Campaign to really advocate, regardless of race, the fact that when we are economically at a disadvantage in a land of plenty we ought to do something about that and so you have tried to do things about it in your community talk a little bit about some of the things that you have organized like real black friday that actually are seeking to expand opportunities for more folks
2: yeah that's my baby um and if you know me you know that's my baby uh, the real black friday and you know, I will say this, you know, just in a few months, we will celebrate 10 years doing the work. A decade, um, a decade, and I cannot believe that time has gone by. And also in about eight days, we will also celebrate seven years at CLE, my partner and I, um, in business. So again, um, we've just been dedicated to the work. But from from a real Black Friday's perspective, How I even came up with that vision, I remember the day. I'm a visual person. I have a photographic memory. People who know me know that about me. I don't forget things in life. And I will tell you, I remember standing on a chair on a Monday morning. I'm in my bedroom. And you say, why was I standing on a chair? Because I was so excited. I woke up with a vision that I have to help entrepreneurs. I was traveling around the country doing financial literacy, and I kept getting lines full of people that were business owners. And it really uh, dawned on me that if you have bad personal finances, you have what? Bad business finance. It's not a trick question. <laughs> uh, so, so then I realized I'm going to shift my work to helping entrepreneurs. And it aligned with the work that I, uh, again, that impacted my life growing up. When I look at uh, Arian, whose mother, who's in the room, Arian Kirkpatrick, her mother, Mrs. Kirkpatrick, talked to us at a young age that you can be an owner, that you can create wealth, that you can be whatever you want to be as long as you do the work. Now, she held me accountable to doing the work. Um, So, but I'll say that that work has been about bringing awareness and making sure we bring access to people that look like me. I live just a couple blocks away from some of the greatest institutions in this world until I became an adult was the first time that I walked through the doors. That's an issue. Um, So for me, it's like, I'll just kind of go to the last part, but for the NBA All-Star, how do we bring an event to our city that impacts the world and we have people just a few blocks away that can't walk through those doors, can't afford to enjoy the festivities taking place in our city? So with the Real Black Friday, we wanted to create an experience so young black and brown kids could go back to school on that Monday and said I was at the NBA All-Star Game, not knowing they were at the Real Black Friday, <laughs> but, but we made, made sure that they had an opportunity. So that's what the Real Black Friday has been about, and some of your great organizations have allowed me to bring entrepreneurs through your doors where they would have never known who you were or your organization, so that's why we've been committed to the work. Isn't that fantastic? Now, you're
1: involved in various boards of directors, including the YMCA, Cleveland Clinic, Cleveland Public Library Foundation. So how have you been able to leverage these positions to enhance opportunities for the community, particularly as it relates to entrepreneurship? How are you making sure that these groups are aware of what you're doing?
2: Yeah, one, um, for the first couple years, I probably, in the YMCA, Mike was up here. We have Tim, our CEO here in the building. I probably didn't talk for two years because when we talk about access, I didn't know how to be on a board when I walked through the doors. I didn't have an uncle or aunt that I could ask, how do I sit at this seat and make sure that my voice is, is being heard? So it took me a couple of years to even get comfortable, but I'll tell you now, everybody who sits on a board with me know, now nah, I have no problem talking. <laughs> um, so, but what I did was I understand, I had to listen first and understand the environment that I was operating in and seeing what opportunities would, align with our community so what I've been able to do through those is let them just be aware and participate in the work. So not just work with me when I'm at your table, but a relationship is symbiotic. And if you're in a relationship and it's only one side, it's not a relationship. Um, So even in my board relationships, what I do is I serve that organization, but they also work with me to make sure that we're helping the community collectively. So again, for the why, i I'm so proud to say because of the work that our board has committed in our organization we're building a ymca in the glenville community Uh, so was i supposed to say that out loud uh but i'm excited to say that we will be have a 30 plus million dollar facility that will go right into the community so when you ask dr basson how is my voice being heard how do i make sure that i bring the community with me Is I try to create opportunities by being at the table and being a voice not a stale voice but an active voice to make sure they know we're there
1: now you wear many hats (laughs) you're a parent a community leader a business professional so how do you prioritize and manage your time effectively And what advice do you have for individuals looking to find that similar
2: balance? I've read a lot of books, none of them work. Uh, And all of you out there looking, you're all busy people as well, looking at a couple of you. But I'll tell you, no great man can be great without a great woman. And and, and, and my, my, and I have to say, because she fought to get here and got stuck on an elevator, uh, and she's sitting right there. But my wife. Is truly a gift from God to me, and what she does is she helps to balance that. We all need accountability, even leaders. If you're not being held accountable, that you're not really a leader, or you're not willing to be held accountable. And my wife, you know, she gives me that balance and says, "Okay, enough is enough. You, you know, you're speaking enough to enough people. We're giving enough. Um, you're serving enough. Now we got to make sure we prioritize our family." So again, and I have mentors like David Reynolds, like yourself, like Randy McShepard, I could keep going, my business partner, a lot of you in here, Arian Kirkpatrick, that will call and pick up that phone and say, hey, Larise, you've been doing it, we see you, but we're gonna slow down for the rest of the year. So again, the willingness to take that and receive that to make sure I keep that balance. But again, sometimes remember this, when God gives you a vision, it's encrypted and only you can see it. And be careful when he gives it to you that you're not talking to somebody who's mentally blind and you're asking them to see your vision. So again, for me, that's important. It's very interesting.
1: I feel very firmly that if we are gonna raise the ambition of young people in this community, we have to uh, shorten the distance between possibility and their perspective. How are you trying through your different areas of your life to really shorten that distance between possibility for a lot of young people that may not know all of the things that are available to them or
2: that they could even be entrepreneurial? What I have to do is be willing to give them the same and take them down the path that I've been given access to. I never take it for granted that someone gave me access Growing up in a single family house, I had great, I see my cousin here had great uncles and aunties that were my angels, people in the community that were angels to me that opened doors that I never even knew existed. So exposure is a good thing, but it's dangerous because once they've been exposed to it, they never want to go back because I never want to go back. Uh, But I would say to you is for me, it's just doing the work. What we have to do as professionals when we make it or perceive we made it. We can't get in our fancy cars and leave our communities in our rearview mirrors as we leave our communities. We have to actually take a pit stop and stop in the neighborhoods that made us who we are and give back. We have to show up places when, when maybe instead of golfing as much, some of you golfers out there, we got to show up in our schools. So, again, when people say, Larice, you're always so busy. I say it's no different than when you like to golf, when you like to get on your boat. What I do my time and what I enjoy and I'm passionate about is going and giving back to the community. So that is my golfing. So, again, just being very intentional with actually activating and executing. We got to do the work, you guys. This on Monday was called Do Something Day. And I say to that is we must do something. And and I challenge all of you out there, if you are not committed to our youth, they are our future, and if you don't see them, they will see you, but we want them to see us in a good way. So remember I said that. So they scared now.
1: They scared. Another call to action, clearly. Yeah, Things we've got to do. Like, <laughs> we're, gonna, we're making a list today. This is what yes. I better do. Literally... <laughs> I'm an educator, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I want, I want to actually speak to that. When you get into that classroom and you have those folks who are – really starting their entrepreneurship journey. What are some of the things that you teach them? What are some of the
2: ways that you help them think about the next steps in their journey? One, you know, what I try to do differently, which I think has been where some of the success, when you look out there from the outside and you see those classrooms full, is one, I want to make sure that I'm being relevant. That's the one thing we have to fight to do is be relevant. One thing our community is not short on is programs. We have, would you all agree, we have programs. But we need to make sure that we have relevant, real-time programming. So what I do is first I do something as simple as asking them what their need is. Collecting metrics. So your team knows that. I ask. Huntington knows that. We ask the questions. So I make sure when I'm teaching them that I'm actually teaching a need. The worst thing to do is be in a room that you're teaching somebody and they don't need what you're teaching. So then when you ask where why 95% of people are coming back through the doors, it's because I'm speaking to them and not at them. I don't speak on stages. I'm on a stage because I have to be today. But when I'm in a room, I'm going to sit flat-footed and make sure that I look them in their eyes. What they have to do is they have to know how you feel and know that you've been where they've been and be willing to be vulnerable. So I share my story of how I've been successful, but how I failed and may have dropped the ball but I always strive to be the best and let them know if it's real for me, it can be real for you because the resources are out here for all for us all. But we just got to be willing to share the game. Like they said, let's share the cheat code, the hack or whatever you want to call it on social media. We just got to be willing to give that information so we just try to be unique we make it feel like a big family beside you know we, we try to make it feel family like you in a big family reunion learning <laughs> so they actually fight to come through the doors for these classes because like i'm going to see my cousin i'm going to see my big brother today so again just make them feel that we love them and that if they put the work in and stay accountable they can be all that they want to be and let them know that our community needs them as well
1: Tell the story about when the lights went out this uh, summer and you were teaching. What did you do?
2: PNC. Oh. So we pulled up to do a class at Fairfax Connection. And Char called me. Melch- Melch- everybody knew at the office. The lights were out. And I said, okay, the lights are out. What, the, what does that mean? I'm, I'm still going. Like, the people are coming. Trust me. And when I pulled up at PNC, literally, the cars, they were packed in there. And they said, Larisse, but we can't let them in the building because legally, because there's no bath, restrooms, and things of that sort for their safety, liability. We don't need people tripping and falling. I said, that's okay. But I said, how many men I have here? All my guys go grab chairs. I said, shut the parking lot off. No more cars in or out. And what we did was we put about 100 chairs out in the parking lot just a few months back. And we had over, when we were done, close to 150 people. We had guys on motorcycles pulling up on us. Guys at the ATM walking over like, I want to be a part. We had people. We were stopping traffic. And what we did was we made adjustments. And that's what teaching really is in this environment. We got to make adjustments. And guess what? They stayed a whole two hours. We got through our session. And they came back the next week and graduated. So, again, we enjoyed it, though. It was fun. It was fun. I felt like a pastor though. I did feel like I was evangelizing on the corn street corner though. You <laughs> sound like a pastor today, right?
1: <laughs> but but it is it is a, this is a wonderful, you know, it's wonderful when you can spread the gospel of economic opportunity for all. Because that is good news that we all should be able to have an opportunity and so I wanna bring the focus back. Uh, to our conversation theme what transformations could we witness in the economy if everyone
2: had equal access to opportunities equal education access to technology access to wealth and wealth means do you understand how that impacts health so when we talk about or great organizations like bbc that we have infant mortality and the stress that our community goes through. We don't realize, and some of you who have maybe never experienced it, what being challenged economically can do to a family um, and what can it, it can do generationally and how hard. So sometimes we'll say, well, we gave them this, why aren't they changing? But we don't realize that what they're fighting against, is like sending a kid to school every day and then they have to go home and not have food and wonder why they're not performing at their optimal level is because they have to go back to that environment. So again, if we're able to create where people have access to rooms like this so they can meet individuals like you, that will change people's lives. So again, just making sure that all the things that we and all of you here in the room have, it would be impactful because now we wouldn't see the poverty. and It would impact crime who believes truly if we didn't have challenges with economics, kids wouldn't be trying to rob you because they can't feed their families. And we judge them because of what they did because they aren't, they don't have access. And we said, well, they have the same access, you do. I said it took me till I was an adult to go to a professional game because my family couldn't afford to take four kids to a game because that would be our whole paycheck. So again, I would just say that would help to change lives people, it would be more peace, it would be more community, it would be more collaboration, because it's hard for me to collaborate with you if I think that I'm afraid if I give you the same access I have, you'll take my opportunity from me.
1: So you're really saying that we ought to challenge the status quo and expand the opportunities for those who never really even know where they're, Opportunity Ecosystem is.
2: Absolutely. A couple of programs that I have a lot of respect for here in the community is that say yes uh, to Cleveland with the educational system providing our kids access to education. That's life changing, everybody, life changing. I picked the school I was going to go through by just pulling out a magazine and saying, where can I afford to travel back from? That's how I made my decision. It wasn't, be- did they have the best program? It wasn't based on, you know, where they ranked number one. It was, do, am I going to get a decent education? Will I be able to travel back knowing my mother doesn't have a driver's license to come pick me up? So, so again, I, I would say to all of you, and the other one, let me say, is when the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame gave free access to the community, to me that, that, was, that was game-changing. Some of you guys are like, okay, The Rock is just doing something. To me, that was like, whoa, people get to see something that people travel all around the world to get access to every day. So we have to kind of rethink our organizations and say, what can we do to make them comfortable? Putting a beautiful building up, if I've never been in a beautiful building, it's intimidating. So you got to make it conducive and put people that look like them in there to make them feel comfortable in that environment want to be a part of it so again i would just challenge all of you like C does an amazing job Huntington has been creating access i can look at a lot you know tanya from cmp they're doing a lot of great work to create access and so many others of you so i would just continue because i've been doing a lot of challenging i just hope people <laughs> answer my call after today so <laughs> <laughs> and so
1: many people in our community know you for your community work but your work is really in the areas of finance. Can you talk a little bit about, like, what you really do?
2: Yeah. So, <laughs> Tanya, don't laugh. I saw that. Because <laughs> she, she'll say, Louise. Okay, but no. So, um, the, it's so funny, if you don't know me, social media, if you look at it in the wrong way, it can really deceive you. And that's why I teach young people, don't get caught up in social media. Um, because it literally is a two-second post, everybody. It takes you two minutes to post something. And the reality is you don't know if that content was a week ago, five days ago, two months ago, and I'm resharing it. But the reality is my main priority and my profession is I run an accounting firm with my partner, Tree Sharp. Right here, again, we celebrate seven years in eight days. We're located, we've been in downtown Cleveland since we started. We do accounting, uh, finance, and tax, and payroll So, again, people don't know that's what I do for a living. That's what I spend 10 to 12 hours every day trying to service and make sure that our clients, you know, have financial stability and can help to provide jobs and put tax dollars back into our community and scale their businesses. But that's what I do for a living. So for all you who didn't know about that, uh, I guess that was a free commercial. Thanks for that. Uh, But that's what I do for a profession.
1: Well it's it's important because most times we see you civically engaged uh, and really talking deeply about how you can get people to move forward but how did you find that as your path that you wanted to do that work we know a little bit more from today about what motivated you from a communal perspective but how did you get in that
2: professional line? Great uh, people that I again call mentors when I went to school, realized that I was always good with numbers. I was in ninth grade. I would be taking 12th grade math. You know, the teacher would sometimes say, then you teach a class. Um, and so just always had a, a love for numbers. And I just knew that for me, you know, the way I grew up, I never want to deal with living in poverty again. I said, I don't want to look back. So whatever it's going to take me to do to make sure that I can then make sure my family futuristically never dealt with that, I wanna do that. And then because from a community perspective and a passion, if you met people who knew me when I was nine, 11, 13, 15, they would all tell you, he's been a servant since I knew him. He's always been trying to talk to people about entrepreneurship, didn't even know I had a business when I was 13 but I had a whole crew cutting grass all throughout Warrensville uh, and area knows that had a whole crew. I went to college. They were still calling. My mom's like, he's in college now. <laughs> he doesn't shovel snow anymore. Um, so I would say got into that and just really found a passion around numbers. And, and I saw that, man, this information can change a community. And I realized even as, in, as I was in school, I realized that we didn't have access. I didn't learn about financial literacy at home. It's not that because she didn't want to teach it to me. She just didn't know or, or have access to the information to help our, our family, you know, elevate. So I would just say I got into it, loved it. As I started to do the work, it makes me come alive when I'm helping a business and I see them getting through a pandemic. I felt like we were the respirator. And I mean that for small businesses, one of them, not of course a total solution, one of them in this community, because when everybody shut down, We were there every day because businesses didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to go. When banks had their doors closed, we were open to let them know that we're a real partner. And that's when I said, I know I'm doing what God called me to do. And so ever since I've done it, I've loved to do it. I love working with people. I love seeing people grow. And I love giving people information that will forever change their lives and their future generations. We love it. Come on.
1: I have one more question for you and then we'll go to the audience questions. You clearly have a love for Cleveland. Mm. Uh, It's your home. It's where you've grown. What is your highest aspiration
2: for the city that you love so much? Mm. I guess it would just go back. I have to say, I don't go anywhere without wearing Cleveland gear. I don't get on any stage anywhere in the country where I don't wear Cleveland. Very proud of this city and very proud of what it's done to my life and my family's life. But I would say, let's go back as we end to the title, Inclusive Economy. What I want to do is hopefully with the work that I do and I committed to, yourself and everybody in this room, if you haven't today, but after today, uh, that we'll do together collectively, um, I I would say I want to see people rise up. I want to see people have the same opportunities and access to education, not just at a high school level, at a collegiate level. I want to see people have access to the, the C-suite of a lot of these organizations that I sit on boards for. I want to see us sit at the boards and it's inclusive and it looks like what I believe, as a Christian man, heaven would look like. So again, I want to see us, and when we look at different neighborhoods, your neighborhood, my neighborhood, we can see a, a melting pot of us all. So again, I believe if we work together, Um, And like the word says in Ecclesiastes uh, four and nine through 12, it talks about two is better than one. If I fall, then you help me up. But by myself, then we have to lay there together. But you get what I'm saying. So, again, I would just say we got to work together. I want to see collaboration. I want to see. Let's take off some of the the past norms that I can't work with this organization or we're in competition because the reality is last I checked. When McDonald's shows up, Burger King shows up, Taco Bell shows up, and they don't ask, no, they just work together, and they get the same amount of customers to do what they need to do. So I would just say to all of you, let's make sure we use our resources to work together um, to make impact, and so we can create peace. I want to see less crime. I want to see wealth. I want to see better education. I want to see access to facilities and organizations. And that would be my dream and I would be at that point just elated and be know that I, I'm, I guess I've arrived or just happy in my career. <laughs> Come on.
0: Larice Purnell, friends. Thank you so much for being here, Larice. Thank you, Dr. Bastin. We're about to begin the audience Q&A. I'm Dan Malthrop, chief executive here at the City Club. And uh, we uh, welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, and those of you joining us via our live stream at cityclub.org or our radio broadcast on 89.7 WKSU, Ideastream Public Media. If you'd like to text a question, you can text it to 330-541-5794. That number again is 330-541-5794, and our team will work it into the program. May we have our first question, please?
3: Good afternoon, we have a text question. At what point does the hustle become too much? What supports do we need from public and private entities to make sure our entrepreneurs don't have to burn the candle at both ends, so they
2: have the energy to give back and grow? So when we talk about the hustle um, and converting that to be, because the real goal is to then be a, a business, and then the ultimate goal is to be an enterprise, so we can really make true change in this community. But I would say to you is make sure you get access to programs that will help you build a structure. Because the reason it's a hustle in most cases is because there's a lack of structure in place. So I would then challenge you as well is to look for mentorship. When you talk about what has helped to elevate CLE and allow us to grow, it's because, again, people like a Randy McShepherd who will stay up late at night and talk, a David Reynolds that I can call at 1 in the morning, and he'll answer my call and and talk me through that and talk me off the ledge in some cases and say, no, that's too far. Come on back. Uh, But So I would just tell you, look for mentorship, and then sometimes you have to slow down to speed up because you think you're doing the work, And sometimes you got to stop to create the structure that ensure that you can have longevity. And sometimes we're afraid of that because we think everything is now instant gratification And, and cut social media off. Because, again, we see all the good stuff, but we don't see the businesses failing. And like they say, grand opening, what grand closing?
4: Hi, Larise. Um, so you talked about the work that you do with students and the intentionality behind making sure students feel heard and seen. So for students that have an interest with entrepreneurship in middle school and high school, what advice would you have for them in terms of getting started and even staying motivated during that process?
2: So one for them, don't be intimidated to go on the room. When you see um, courses that are being offered out there in the community, one thing about young people, y'all have the most powerful tool that some of us didn't have when we were young. It's that phone. It's the thing some of you guys will turn around if you drove 40 minutes and you left at home. It's that cell phone. And the reality is what I do is I make them, when I teach them, I say, go to your settings. I wanna see how much time you spend on your phones. And I can look at their screen time and they've spent hours. So if you say you wanna be that, how much time are you using that eight hours you spend on that phone to redirect to something that's gonna impact something you say you're passionate about? So again, don't be intimidated. Go in that room, get information, get mentorship. So again, I would just say, young people, you are our future. I would say those that are more established, reach back. What I love about the the Entrepreneur Residence Program through Huntington, what they allow me to do is also teach young people. So we did a program in the Union Miles area where we were able to touch young people and give them access. And I'm telling you, some of those people now have scaled, have trademarks. We're talking about 16, 17-year-olds. So, again, look for those opportunities and don't be intimidated because you may not see people your age in that room. Good Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Just want to ask a question regarding uh, decline. Because the reality is is that not just Cleveland, but you know, across the world, there's, we're facing population decline. So what do we do in this process, discussing some of the things that you have mentioned, to improve our attraction? Because we're not just competing with Columbus, Cincinnati, we're competing with Dubai and other places throughout the world for population. What can we use? What are some of these tools? How do we attract people to Cleveland? Mm. Mm. Oh, that—that's—and I. so when I saw you coming, I knew it was going to be a good question. <laughs> uh, I knew it, my brother. Uh, so what we have to do, I think what makes us, one thing is Cleveland is rich with resources. And a lot of times we get kind of stuck with being known for the things that were, you know, first on the list, that we should be last on the list um, and vice versa sometimes. And we can't let that be our narrative. We are all, you know, I would say, advocates for this community, and have to shout Cleveland out loud wherever we go, so we can help to change that narrative. But I I would say to that is, when people come here, they have to see cohesiveness. One thing when I travel to countries or I mean cities around this country is that entire community welcomes me. So it's not just you know your political figures um, or your community figures. Everybody comes to the table. So what it makes me see that there's unity at the table and and we just want what's best for our community. So I would say to that question is we got to show collaboration. We got to have the religious leaders at the table with our politicians, with our educators, with our private and public institutions and making it a warm and fuzzy feeling. It's discernment. When I go into the city, I know when they want me there. I know I must do some work in the city because they want me to be there. Um, so I would say from my perspective, Dr. Batson, you may be able to speak from another angle, but I just think that we got to show them that we are all truly on one accord and that we want them to be here. So when people want, feel wanted, guess what? They come. When you feel that somebody wants you and you're, not being, you're being pulled versus having to push, guess what? You, you'll activate it and become a part of that community.
1: And keep Clevelanders in Cleveland. You know, if, if we really, really want to grow here, you have to give people a reason to stay here. Now, I'm not from here. And I feel sometimes being here like a drum major for here in ways that people who have been here are not. And so we got to do better in that regard. And I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. And we want you to stay here. <laughs> so make sure we
2: let him know that.
3: <laughs> we have another text question. So when You are low income in this sector. One of the biggest things wasted is our time. So much paperwork and bureaucracy makes it tough to get ahead. Have you seen any opportunities to remove
2: red tape so we can reclaim some of that precious time? So I would say to that question, that actually is, this is a great forum for that because it's also a statement because we have leaders that are decision makers right here in this room um, that know their process that they've employed to to help our community. And and I would just say we got to kind of relook at that. So like everything else is changing, you know, some of us have to change the way we do things. And I just got to keep saying this because this program has been great and allowed me to do what I'm passionate about. But with Huntington and and Tri-C, you know, there's no red tape. There's no red tape. What we do is if you want the information, we're going to make sure we deliver it. Um, to you and make sure it's in a way that's conducive to where you are at in your life and and for me I would just say you know we have to definitely understand that if you're in poverty and some of you grew up in that and you're trying to be you're a single parent and you have multiple children and you have no means of transportation and you don't have access to wi-fi how do I have time to fill out a 30-page application to get $200. So one, I can't get to you. Two, sometimes I, I can't access you. Um, so we gotta consider who we're dealing with. And that's when I went back and I said, I collect information so I know how to deliver um, the content that I'm trying to make sure is effective to the crowd that we're trying to address. So,
1: So what would you say to someone who's not using their privilege whether it's earned or unearned in their position and not bringing anyone with them. Thank you.
2: So I would say move out of the way. <laughs> move out of the way. We, we don't need squatters in areas that we're trying to make change. And, and I'm gonna give credit to my dear brother and mentor, uh, Randy McShepard for a great organization right here in this community, BVU. He helped to create something called the Minority Pipeline that gives access to people that look like me at a board seat. And what that has, that was an organization that has changed my life and many others that are in this room. What we have to do is when we get to the table, all of us, we have to make sure that we create another seat. And sometimes, and some of the boards I sit on in this room, I got Mike from USS Um, Cleveland Legacy Foundation others they will tell you I'll say hey are we doing this in our community so what you have to never forget it's called the imposter syndrome anybody heard of that when you go into a room and sometimes you forget who you are because you want to I would guess you know be a part of the environment that you are in to make yourself comfortable and make everybody else in the room comfortable and what I realize is don't ever change who you are God made you who you are. You're the only one with that DNA. So make sure when you're in that room, you be who you're gonna be and create access to other people like you or again, how I started. Get out the way. In Cuyahoga
3: County, you kind of talked about it a little bit um, for collaborative agreements in order for us to be successful in filling gaps. So as a visionary, in your future, what do you foresee for economic inclusion in terms of filling those gaps? And what support do you
2: need from us uh, in this community? Okay, so I'm going to need to come back for part two because I could talk all day about that one. Uh, (laughs) But I would say uh, absolutely support is necessary Just not for me, because when I look across this room, I see a lot of other people that are committed to the work, just like my business partner, I'm just a lot of people I sit on boards, Dan Bickerstaff, there's so many of you that are here in this room. So I would just say, again, it goes back to making sure if you have access to those resources, really doing the homework to figure out who's doing the work. And not just checking the box, hey, I need 20 people, I can get you 20 people, but we're not seeing a movement or the needle being moved because the one thing is I don't want anybody's resources that we're not going to make change with because we may never see those resources again. So we got to make sure that we're being intentional, that we're finding the right organizations um, to do the work that have been doing the work because just like individuals don't have access, organizations don't have access. And, and, and it's a lot of grassroots people that are making change every day And they're living and breathing to make sure communities change. So I say for me, um, you know, as I come to you, you know, I try to bring the best, put my best foot forward to make sure that we deliver on the mission. I would just say just be open to thinking outside the box. And again, look for those organizations that you can really work with. And I would say I I would like to see at my table because I realize I cannot do this work by myself is you cannot do the work. So if you may see, like, ah, here he go again. It's all about, no, it's not about me. Everything I do, I I bring other people to that same table. I would say, I want to see politicians. We can't, you know, politic people to death. We can't do certain things. We got to be where we put, you know, the main, and make the main thing the main thing. And we got to make sure, if we say we're about the people, be about the people, And don't have no other agenda or personal agenda or they're not in my camp or they didn't do this and say, hey, we're going to work together because it's all for the betterment of our community. So I want to see my table be diverse. Politicians, bankers, uh, people from the healthcare sector, people from the accounting sector, people from the education sector. So we can all work together to do the right thing. So that's a very loaded question, Crystal. And you you and my brother always going to get me on those. But again, I I just want to say I appreciate everybody who has supporting this room, and being great partners.
4: Good morning, everybody. My name is Margie Colon. I work for Metro Health, and I'm a visionary just like you. And I've watched you for a few years already, both of you guys, and both of you guys have amazing ideas, and you push the needle. Well, I'm pushing pushing the needle for mine, okay? And I work in my community. I am Hispanic. I was born in Puerto Rico, y hablo español claro. So my question to you, all these um, classes and everything, are they bilingual? Because I think that we always miss the mark with the bilingual. It's like you see me, and if you want to hear me talk, which that's how me and you met, you thought I was African-American. Well, let me give a piece of history. I am. My mother and father are both from Puerto Rico, okay? I was born there. But guess what? I'm Puerto Rican. I'm a Boricua. Um, I have Taino in me, and also African-American. Wow. So, and now I have a a son-in-law that's from Nigeria. So how rude can (laughs) I go? (laughs) How deep can I go, right? Oh, yeah. You you So all I'm asking is that when you guys do a lot of these programs, and for everybody in this room, when you're doing these programs, don't forget about us. Because, honey, we don't watch TV, and we don't listen to too many music. We're making babies, and there's a lot of us. So, on that note, I'm just giving you a heads up. When you're doing your stuff, make sure it's in English and Spanish. Hi,
2: yeah. Yeah, true. Babies. <laughs> so that that was a, a great statement and um, a great comment and suggestion. And what I would say to you those conversations have been being had as of lately because we understand. So I actually have a couple meetings set up within the next month, actually, with some Westsiders to talk about that because that has been one of my challenges. They keep saying, Larisse, come to the West Side. But the reality is I'm like, well, I don't know if y'all gonna be able to understand me. So how are we gonna make this work? So so, so you're gonna understand me, okay. So, so just making sure again, when we talk about Crystal, i about collaborations looking for people that I can collaborate to make sure we're delivering the message. Again, and just making sure there's a need. I'll say initially, that wasn't a need. You know, That's not who was applying for the classes. But again, like you said, if I understand the community, I understand that there's a deficit maybe in communication or getting the message out to them where they can receive it. So again, we'll hopefully establish these relationships so then we can deliver it. But now from a technology perspective, Hopefully, I'll be able to do a podcast at Tri C very soon, Renee. Uh, and what we'll do is we'll make sure that comes in different languages so then we can make sure we not just address this community, but people across the country that are bilingual as well. Thank you.
3: Hello, Mr. Pernell, How are you? How are you,
0: doing?
3: How are you doing? My name is Amanda Collins, and I'm with the um, Ohio Means Jobs Workforce Development Team. And um, first of all, thank you so much for sharing your faith with us openly. Um, Scripture also tells us that people perish from the lack of knowledge. And when we're talking about an inclusive economy, there's people that are not included in our economy, people who don't have that opportunity to be at some of the tables that you mentioned. Locally, what suggestions would you have to bring people who this economy is affecting But they're not at the table, but we need those voices because they may be able to have answers to some of the things that a lot of us are trying to figure out. Um, But these people are not at the table and they're not included in our economy. So what would be some of your suggestions? Because we need those voices.
2: So let me say first, they are at the table if I know them or know of them, because I'm not going to be at a table and I have not been at a table that I don't bring others with me. And I'm looking at somebody like a Maisha who owns New Life Fitness here in Cleveland. Everywhere I go, I take Maisha and so many others in her industry. It goes back to that statement I made earlier. If you have access, it was not just given for yourself. And you have a responsibility. It's not one person, and it's not your job to judge what people are not doing. If sometimes, like they say, you point in this, it's one finger going that way. How many coming back to yourself? So I say to you out there, just make sure that you're taking others to you. If you work at an organization that you don't see people that look like you, invite them there for a lunch and learn. Invite them for a tour at your facility. But again, if I'm at the table, people are coming through that facility. Um, They're coming through and they're going to be at those board tables. And I can give you a list, a long laundry list of that. So again, I would just continue to challenge all of you. Open your doors. If you say community, and it's something that statement that people who know me know I say, when people say, I'm trying to help the community, I always ask, what community? Because that's, that's a very broad word, saying I- I'm impacting all of the community. No. Are you talking about corporate people that make you comfortable because that's who you are? Or are you talking about the community that can't afford to be where you're at? So again, I always clarify that so I know who I'm dealing with. So I can then challenge back and say, no, let's make sure this is inclusive. And just one little quick uh, announcement.
1: I work at a place where community is in the middle name. <laughs> <laughs> and regardless of your level of preparation or understanding or whatever, you are, if you are bilingual, there's a program there for you in anything. If It's not just degrees. People think you come to community colleges anything you want to learn languages whatever you need any program resource access to be able to get on the path including our programs with huntington that's that's the reason why the community college is here for the community and we are throughout the community just thought i'd throw that out there
0: and and just to clarify that's cuyahoga community college TriC.edu. all right. All right, Dr. Bastin, and Louise Purnell, both of you are, you're not just changing the narrative of our community, which is really important to change the narrative, but you're changing the community as well. Thank you both so much for being with us today. I wanna to just close out by mentioning that forums like this one are made possible thanks to generous support from individuals just like all of you, and you can learn more about how to become a guardian of free speech at cityclub.org. Our forum today is part of the Building Success series we present in partnership with Huntington Bank. Thank you so much for your partnership. We'd also like to welcome guests at tables hosted by the AKA team, the Cleveland Public Library Foundation, Construction Employers, Cuyahoga Community College, also known as Tri-C, Deaconess Foundation, Great Lakes Science Center, Huntington Medical Mutual, Metro Health Foundation, Resource Cleveland, St. Martin de Porras High School, Step Forward, the Legal Aid Society of Cleveland, the USS Cleveland Legacy Foundation, WCWI, the YMCA of Greater Cleveland, and Youth Opportunities Unlimited. So thank you all so much, you guys rock. Next week at the City Club, February 26th, we have a very timely forum, we'll take a closer look at US foreign policy with Aaron David Miller, former Clevelander, Aaron David Miller. He's now Senior Fellow at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. And Monday, January 29th, we welcome the Reverend Naomi Tutu. She's a race and gender justice activist. She will join us 25 years after her father, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Yeah, spoke at the City Club. Reverend Naomi Tutu will discuss the future in the fight for women's rights. You can learn more about that forum and everything else we have on the calendar at cityclub.org. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for braving the weather once again. And thank you for braving the weather on your way home today. Please stay safe. And uh, our forum is now adjourned. Thank you.
2: For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org.
0: Production and distribution of City Club Forums on Ideastream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.